G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Perhaps all have our own story to tell when it comes to work and work well-being. That's going to be where our conversation goes today. In any given week, many of us will spend more than a third of our waking hours at work. Well, few will disagree with the idea that well-being at work has to be a key priority and 83% of workers say it's up to the employer to facilitate well-being in the workplace. So for Christian workers and bosses, there may be a few biblical truths to glean, some Christian wisdom to share and to give some attention to today in our conversation. After all, if God creates work and it has a key place for our contribution to the wider community, we might assume that God is interested in our well-being at work. So what can we glean from the current developments? Uh, Let's not detach COVID-19 and the crisis, the health crisis, the economic crisis around our conversation too. And is there a way we can deepen a Christian view of our work? Well, we're going to be talking work over this next hour, and very shortly we'll open our talkback lines. Our special guest through this coming hour is award-winning social researcher Mark McCrindle. He's the founder of McCrindle Research. He's co-authored a new book called Work Wellbeing. His co-author is Ashley Fell. Mark McCrindle is joining us to unpack how we can deal with work well-being in our workplace. Mark McCrindle, a special welcome back to 2020. Great to be with you, Neil. Thanks very much. Hey, Mark, let's start with the really basic understanding, because I think if we miss this, uh, the rest of our conversation uh, could be left dangling a little. But let's talk about work well-being. What Mm. actually is work well-being? Well, firstly, work, you know, we even define that. And work is not employment. You know, there are about 4 million Australians who work, uh, but they're not employed because they're retirees. There's another 5 million Australians working every day, even though they may not have a job because they're at home as as raising those children as full-time carers. There's many other millions of Australians who work in volunteer roles. In fact, about one in five Australians volunteers, even though they're not paid, that is still work. And of course, we're working as we serve others in the community and our families and our friends and in all those capacities of life, that is work even when we don't get paid. So we wanted to make clear in this book that the work, good work done well that's making a contribution, whether we're paid or not, whether it's an employed situation or not, is important. And as we do that, well-being can flow. You know, and you, you set it up well, Neil, when you said that, that, that God worked 
and he made us in his image to work. Uh, some people get their theology mixed up and think that work came as a result of the fall. Uh, but of course, before sin, there was work, and God demonstrated that and, um, and created us to do good work. And, um, and so that's what we wanted to, to highlight in this book, the opportunity that work in all of its forms can be to help us thrive and flourish and, um, and to, to really you know, have impact in our community. Sometimes, Mark, I imagine there's a little bit of confusion here because when we talk about work well-being, we might think that is our right and what that might feel like, it could feel different every day. Uh, If we want to be comfortable at work, if we want to be healthy at work, if we want to be happy at work, uh, maybe there's something that happens in our workplace where we need to stretch ourselves and sometimes the circumstances we find ourselves in may be less than comfortable. Um, Mm. let's hope not less than healthy, but sometimes we're not so happy in earning the dollars that we need to earn, but we recognize we have to do that. So there's a little bit, there's a little bit of subjectivity in there and what, uh, and what being happy and comfortable might be about. That's right. And we found in this research, we ran 11 different studies and surveys and a lot of in-depth interviews as well as part of this book uh, to pull it all together so that it was solid and based on, on, on what we're seeing in Australia. And, and, and firstly, we found one in five Australians are doing their job purely for the money. They, they are not enjoying it. They are not thriving through it. They're not growing uh, very much in their skills. They do it because of the money, and if you took the, if you solved their, their their financial need, they would quit their job and never work again. And that's a challenge, you know. If that's the sole purpose of life, you know, it's it's true that that therefore for some, your know, work is 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 just a place that they go and, and and put in a fair day's effort for a fair day's pay. But for many, many more, work is the key place that they have in life for social connection or, and for developing their skills. Work is a key part of our identity. It's a key part of where we can make a contribution and and assist others. And of course, uh, feel that we've made. A, a good effort and had some impacts ourselves. So work is an important part of our life. And as you said, it's it's where we spend more than a third of our waking hours for some. And when you include the commute time, it's about half of our hours uh, of our uh, waking hours. And so if it's not a place where we're thriving and flourishing, then we've got a problem. Now, the purpose of the book was to help people create and shape and influence that place so that, you know, it can be a place of thriving. But you're right, you know, for some, they might be in such a toxic environment and it really is going nowhere and they just have not been able to change things. And the leadership style is so autocratic that there's no way to really influence things. And so for some, the only way is to actually leave and to find another place of work because if they continue where they are, they're just going to really be grinding along and not see any of that flourishing that, that you know, we all hope for. So you're hoping here that everybody involved with the workplace is going to glean something special here and if everybody understood the workplace perhaps the way it ought to be understood then we'd have a whole lot more opportunity to make our workplace a place of well-being. So you've got business owners uh, oftentimes involved in their business. You've got managers who are running the day-to-day activity and you've got the employees, the workers, uh, and then you could even add uh, volunteers into that in some pl- yes. in some workplaces. But, but you've got all these different dimensions. And so you've surveyed, uh, is it primarily workers or workers and bosses because you're trying to actually help each side understand the other? How does that work, Mark? 
That's exactly right. You know, we surveyed workers across Australia and we asked them, you know, what has firstly been, uh, what's the biggest cause of stress in your life? And for some, you know, it's financial stress and for some it's it's health stresses and, and issues going on. But for the majority, the biggest cause of stress in our life comes from our work. That's what this study found. And we said, all right, well, who can most change or, or influence your work? You know, is it is it because of the customers? Is it because of your fellow workers? Is that what causes the issue or the negative culture? You know, is it just because of the job description? But uh, the majority response was that it's the leadership, the managers. They are the, the most or the best place to transform or change or enable uh, a more thriving workplace. So, so what that logic flow tells us is that work is uh, where we spend a key part of our life it's the biggest cause of stress if we don't get it right. And leaders are the biggest enablers to solve that problem or the biggest cause of the problem that we have. Therefore, leaders or managers, business owners really have a responsibility to get workplace uh, and well-being there going going right. And, and we asked him, uh, workers again across Australia, we said, well, whose job is it for managing mental health, for, for making sure that there's there's well-being in your workplace? And again, the majority answer is, it's the responsibility of the employers. We all have a role, but the employers have to make sure that the work and the collegiality and the team and the culture, uh, the opportunities, even the physical setup of the environment, let alone you know, the work tasks themselves, uh, are set in such a way that we can really leave work each day feeling that we've made a difference, we've had an impact, and that it is a positive place to work. Mark, let's take this deep early in our conversation. And I know that every listener to our conversation today will be thinking of their own workplace as they are listening to us talking about it. Uh, But when you talk about unhappy workers, uh, and you mentioned there are barriers uh, Mm. to the work well-being that we might have, and I know that there'll be listeners who are saying, well, uh, the sorts of things you're talking about, you haven't spoken about uh, the way I'm discriminated against at my work, or the harassment that I've had over the years, or the workplace bullying that goes on. And this typically points to those who are in charge, might be middle Mm. managers, managers, might be upper level managers. And I know that you even make reference to the idea that in some workplaces, the boss is like a psychopath. Uh, They've they've really got some, uh, some cold, hard... Uh, ways that they manage their businesses and making everyone's life a misery. Take us a little deeper here into some of those big challenges uh, that are blockages to our our workplace well-being. Yeah, well, the biggest one of all is people feeling overworked and stressed. Um, so that's a matter of making sure we've got the the right job description and the right support for our team. And then we've got hierarchy and management structures. You know, when you're just working in a place and it's really bureaucratic and people don't listen to you, that's a cause of frustration. And then we've got just a lack of training and resources. We're seeing that at the moment with various inquiries around COVID. And, and sometimes we've had COVID spreading because people haven't been trained properly in the safety gear. They haven't been trained properly in hygiene practices, let alone, you know, in, in broader areas in, in, in the workplace as well. The next big issue was the general culture of the place. You know, there, it was a place where there was gossiping or, or 
maybe people were a bit isolated. People didn't feel included. They just didn't feel that they were part of of the organisation. Um, often it, people said another big blocker was a lack of trust and fairness. You know, this person gets that, but but I'm treated unfairly. That's the discrimination or the fact that we're not being equal in how we lead and manage and engage our people. Um, and, and a big one as well was the lack of vision and direction for the organisation. So these are basic issues that we can all understand. We've all experienced them to different degrees, but they are key for leaders to get right if they want to play, create um, a thriving team. And we, we found in this research, we wrote in the book, that, that more important than a vision for the organization is having a vision for the team, is seeing your team members as key. Not, not customers. I mean, customers are important, but actually the team members matter most because if we can ensure that they are engaged in the job, that we've supported and trained them well, that we've got a good collective and, and engaging workplace culture, then they will be empowered to give that great service and value and connection to the customers. And so it does start with the leaders getting the right structures and, and engagement right with their team members so that we can create a flourishing workplace. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. Our special guest this hour is award-winning social researcher Mark McCrindle. We're talking about well-being at work. And I want to invite you to join into our conversation today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. And you can leave a message or a question or a comment on our Facebook post today. Is it the responsibility of the employer or the worker to create well-being in your workplace? Uh, Mark McCrindle, just before the break, I said I'm going to put you on the spot because if uh, there are Christian business owners... Uh, Christian managers, uh, Christian employees are listening into our conversation right now. Uh, mm. I suspect as Christians, uh, we ought to have a more intense interest in workplace well-being than anyone else. What are your thoughts yeah. on, on the Christian and business? Absolutely. You know, and this concept of well-being is a biblical concept. In Psalm 35, it says, The Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servants. And that's what God does. He does delight in our well-being. And we have to be those ambassadors and curators of well-being in our organizations as well. And, and you know, it's a responsibility. And we think about, you know, mainstream businesses. Why do they exist? Well, value creation. But we say that Christians have to be about values creation and 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 spread. And while most businesses are focused on the output, um, we we say that businesses also have to be focused on the impacts that they make. And, and the focus ought not just be on clients, but on the broader community and how we get it done is not just through management, which is about tasks and processes, but through leadership that can empower and enlarge. And, and most business, businesses have a bit of a short-term focus. It's the quarter-by-quarter results. It's the immediate, whereas we say businesses really should think about a legacy, a thriving and intergenerational legacy being built to have impacts over the long term. So in other words, great leaders have a different vision. They have a longer perspective. They, they're, they're focused not just on what they achieve in their tenure, but on what lives on after uh, they have moved elsewhere, those, those long-lasting legacies and, and impacts. And, and they're focused on, on not just 
the head, you know, the structure, the decisions, but the heart. And it's those leaders of head and heart that are the best to equip and empower and um, and create thriving uh, in their teams. I imagine that, you know, when you've got a business, you're usually selling some sort of product or service and you might have a great product and there may be a huge demand for it. But the prosperity and the thriving of your business may actually be affected just as much by this idea of well-being at work as it does on just how good your product is. I wonder whether you've got any reflection here on on what makes a great business and what makes a super business. Excellent point, Neil. And we ran an exact study on that in the book, you know, because this ought not be just warm and fuzzy stuff. You know, we're talking about businesses and most businesses are set up as profit making businesses. And so they need to, 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 to live on. They need to make profit so that they can, you know, pay their way and pay their bills and, and of course be around for the next year. And what we found is organizations that create a culture of engagement grow their team uh, and and create a place of flourishing for their team members, they have better economic returns. There were three key factors that came from this sort of leadership and from these sorts of organizations. Firstly, they had longer tenure of their team. So people stayed around longer. They weren't having the costs of high turnover and recruitment costs. Secondly, their people were more engaged in the job. So there's greater profitability and productivity and, and, and getting the job done. And thirdly, organizations that had this well-being uh, had team members that were brand ambassadors. They would talk to others, oh, man, my organization is awesome, and, and this is the leadership, and here's what we do. And that attracts others to them, maybe as customers, maybe as other employees as well. Christians are well-connected, and uh, they, of course, talk, everyone does, and, uh, and it's going to talk up an organization that is really looking after them. So you get that, that, that employer brand benefit as well when we have these sorts of um, policies and structures in place. So it brings about an economic return as well as, of course, a community and, and people impact and, and both of those matter. Mark, I know you love to talk about the way things change generationally. I wonder whether you've got any insight here on the fact that things are changing today in the 21st century and we're into a new decade now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Different Mm -hmm. generations have different expectations and that means that different bosses will try to rule the roost in a different way perhaps because employees have a different expectation today. What are your thoughts around generations and the way we might have to Mm -hmm. adapt and change? Yeah, well, that's that's so right. And I think that's what's driving a lot of the focus now that organizations have around creating the right sort of leadership, the right engagement with their team and places of well-being. Because we've got a generation coming in now, these younger ones that aren't looking for a job. They're looking for an opportunity to, to make some impacts and to, to have a difference uh, through their daily work. And that requires us to give the freedom and the, the, the opportunities for them to really flourish and a leadership style that's not autocratic and hierarchical and a chain of command structure, but more empowering and enlarging, mentoring and growing them. We found in this research that many, or many young people leave jobs not because there's a compelling reason to leave, some sort of issue or problem, but just there's no compelling reason to stay. They're just not engaged in the job. It's, it's, it's all right. It's just not fantastic. And so it's up to employers to 
create the to share the vision to create the engagement to in other words have an organization where people are excited to go each day and where they sure you know there's tough things we all have to do there's boring things that we all have to do but overall they see the impacts of their work they connect with the culture of the organization and they can see the long-term vision of what they're achieving and that's what engages them in the job and that requires a different sort of leadership from that hierarchical management to more a people-centered engaging leadership form. Mark, let's move on and talk through some of the issues of what might lie ahead because Mm -hmm. if you get these things worked out and if you've got young people engaged, I suspect the future will be a little easier for business because this idea that robots and artificial intelligence have the potential to take over and of course Mm -hmm. those technological advancements are going to affect the way business happens into the times to come. What are your thoughts on making that adaptation and having expectations for a technological future. Yeah, great point. You know, and we found in this research, we've got a chapter on the future of work. And, you know, everything that can be outsourced to technology or automation or computers uh, or robotics will be, you know, and what is robotics and technology good? doing the repetitive stuff, the sequential stuff, the stuff that's just the same time after time. Well, great. Let's get humans out of that and let let the technology do that. Uh, So what is the unique offering we have as humans, you know, made in the image of God and, and of course, um, made for community? Well, we have the people skills, the emotional intelligence, the ability to bring the best from others, to communicate effectively. So I would say to young people or any of us, To make sure we're future-proofed in a world of change, let's grow our people skills, our leadership skills, our communication skills, because that stuff can't be done by technology. And those skills are transferable. So if all we do is just develop our technical skills in this particular job, and suddenly that industry comes to an end, we're not as skilled up to transfer those skills to a new area. But but if we've got the people skills, you know, that's going to be relevant in, in any organization anywhere. And the other big shift that we're seeing, particularly recently, is this whole working from home shift that COVID has brought about. And we're, that's just going to be the new normal. And we found in this research that Therefore, because our workplaces are no longer the gathered ones, they're more the dispersed ones. We've got people working from home, people uh, working more remotely. That that social connection, which for many was through the workplace, it matters even more. It's essential that bosses double down on training of their teams, on checking in with them, on ensuring that they're feeling part of it, and on building the culture because we're less connected. We can't rely on just the ad hoc chats as we bump past someone uh, at the coffee machine. We've got to work harder on it in the work from home environment. So this stuff on creating work well-being matters even more in this current era that we're in. Mark, let me just, before we move on into to some other areas, uh, perhaps reflecting on a, a, a comment or two from listeners um, one, Terence says, isn't it everyone's responsibility? In response to that question about the responsibility of the employer or the employee, he goes on to say, too, a good leader should always lead from the front, with employees having the responsibility to follow his lead. When one of these fail their role or the responsibilities uh, of the responsibility for peace uh, and uh, and uh, and well-being become absent. So uh, peace is absent mm-hmm. if someone fails. So it, is it is it the case mm-hmm. that this is not just one or the other? This is both the mm-hmm. employer and the employee. 
Great point, yeah, from Terence there, and and that's right. I mean, it's the same with workplace safety uh, as it is with with our mental health and and mental well being. Is that is that yes, we all have a responsibility. We can't just blame the boss or expect the company to provide that for us. Uh, and even think about culture, which I'm saying is so important to creating a an environment, an organisation where we where we flourish. Uh, culture is created by everyone. It's not just the boss who creates the culture. The, the culture is all of us together and how we interact and the environment we shape. So, uh, so definitely it's, it's true for all of us. And yes, the leader sets the vision and communicates that, but the leader's role is not to single-handedly achieve the outcome, but rather shape the environment so that success is inevitable. And so they, they're like the, the cheerleader or the, the orchestra conductor, um, and they create the right environment for everyone else to get involved to, to thrive. So leaders have a key role, but, but every, every person plays that important part. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Kerry in Henley Beach in South Australia. Hello, Kerry. Welcome along. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, I just want an opinion. I work at a nursing home and I'm a volunteer and I collect no money from the government or anybody. I do it for the love of the residents, which I feel God's led me. And I've been there 16 years. I'm just wondering that, uh, look, there's problems there because the staff are so good with the residents, but they're just pushed on so much workload. It's ridiculous. When I suggest something for the residents, they say, oh, no, 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 no. And it's only simple things. And I'm thinking that the uh, the, the bosses, to me, are, sorry to say it, just ticking boxes, really, and collecting mm. money. Your opinion. Oh, well. Your, your yeah. thoughts, Mark? Well, that's that's sad, isn't it? When when that's it, when bosses, leaders have become managers, and they're just, as you say, ticking boxes rather than really changing the the environment and creating, um, you know, a, a resident-centred uh, environment that supports the staff and creates, you know, a community which which aged care facilities should be. And and that's the way I define the success of a leader is the culture they create and the people they develop. Now they are the metrics. And if 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 leaders are instead managing systems and processing tasks, uh, that's not success, and that's not sustainable, and that's not going to create a place where we where we thrive in our work and where we where we feel we really had an impact. Kerry, thank you so much for your call. Important yeah, point I just there. Say the residents are suffering. The residents are suffering. That's mm. all I have to say. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Kerry, thank you so much. Uh, the residents are suffering, and uh, this idea that regulations right now with COVID nineteen extra regulations being piled on to workplaces like uh, aged care facilities, that creates extra stress in the workplace, Mark. And Mm -hmm. I imagine that somehow or other, those who are going to be effective in their leadership role in managing those facilities and any other workplace that's under huge stress right now has to really think carefully about the way that the employees are reacting under all of that stress. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, to create great leadership, a great culture, great organisation, work well-being. It can't be about policies. We can't just pick up a program. Oh, here's our well-being program. Or here's our, here's our staff engagement program. We're going to move our way through this. It's not about the next program. It's about the next generation. It's about the next engagement with our team. It's about living this stuff and, and modelling this stuff as leaders. And if we you know, exemplify um, effective and passionate work, if we have that right balance in our own lives, if we see the importance of work, but but the importance of, of leading a healthy life um, with that, we call it work-life integration rather than work-life balance, 
um, then that's then that's going to be modelled across the team and make sure that people aren't feeling stressed or, or overworking. You know, we can't we can't realistically separate work and life these days with technology. It's it, it's about understanding the importance of work and how that integrates with life and how the work is is making a difference. Um, but but how it's a key part of our life, but it's not the total of our life. And, you know, that's where we've got biblical principles, like, for example, the Sabbath, you know, where we have downtime in our week, where we prioritize God in our life, and where we have spiritual well-being as a goal, and not just financial well-being or, or workplace well-being. And, and when we get those balances right, that's when we really start to thrive. And, you know, I remind us all that, that the Sabbath is not about having a day of rest so that we can be recharged and get back into work, but it's having a day of rest so we can learn to rely on God, recognizing that he is the provider of all, and we don't need to get out there and stress and worry and fret. Um, he gave us the job, he gave us the role, he gave us the energy, and he will sustain us. And, and a day off or two reminds us that he is the one who is the provider. And an opportunity to reset and reprioritize on a day mm-hmm. like that where you take that break from your work. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Jason is in Sydney. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Yes, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to... Um, and just so, and I, I know we're all biased because this is Vision Christian Radio, but I just want to say, um, as a, a Christian, that the biblical values um, I've seen in my life, uh, in my work life, um, my dad was a builder, but he was an employer. He treated the young men that he took on like they were sons. And now he's an old man of 80, and a few of the young men he took on are now running successful businesses of their own. And they talk to my dad like he uh, like he is an uncle or father figure. I've seen. I worked in aged care for ten years before my back was put out. And I'll second what the lady says. When um, you're dealing with human beings in the aged care industry, quote unquote, there's one for you. And you're dealing with human beings. And when you get quotas, and I remember the quotas um, of washing, of feeding time, etc. And I ended up feeling like I was sometimes at, at a, a feedlot at a cattle station um, because you're just being pushed because somebody else is being pushed and they've got um, profit at the end of it. I've got a, a book right in front of me, um, which is called The Waste Makers. It was written in 1960. It was about uh, this man, uh, just uh, he was a businessman. He was an academic. He was thinking into the future. Planned obsolescence, and when you have planned obsolescence, when you when you design something, you just know it's going to be shot out in in five, ten, uh, fifteen years time. Um, you're not thinking like family. You're not thinking like a, a neighbour. Jason, you're um, making some fabulous points here, and I wonder, Mark, uh, you mm-hmm. have a response for Jason, but this idea yeah. of an employer treating employees like mm-hmm. family, uh, that's probably something, I guess, for Christians we can understand that. Not uh, not so easy to swallow for someone who's leading a big uh, corporation uh, trying to make those dollars at the end of the day. What are your thoughts for Jason? Yes, such a great uh, legacy that your father left you, Jason, and a great example of a of, of a leader and and an employer who built a business as a as a builder, literally, uh, but had an on an ongoing legacy in training others how to do that and and in enlarging them in their skills and and you know the the word company we we wrote this in the book you know many of us running companies 
that they come, we, the COM part of that, we know uh, companion and, and comrade, that means together. And the panis part, we know the word panini, bread. So it literally means together breaking bread. That's what a company is. It's people coming together, working together, sharing the fruit of that together, and the fellowship of that together is a key part of what it's about. Not just about profit for shareholders or owner's profit. It's got a far bigger and more important purpose than that, together breaking bread. And we need to keep that in mind in all of our companies uh, and their ultimate purpose. Jason in Sydney, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open, 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation today, you can also respond to our Facebook post today. You could post a question or a comment there. The question being asked, is it the responsibility of the employer or the worker to create well-being in your workplace? Uh, Mark, just uh, let's pick up on uh, something that came out of uh, your response there just a few moments ago about leaders of the organisation and the way that sometimes the focus is only on the outcomes, the quotas, the impacts, the financial statements that have to be generated every month. Uh, But the idea that that sometimes demotivates the employee. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here because there are some things that shape the way that employees, where you can get the best out of the employee and other ways that will be uninspiring. Any thoughts here? Yeah, it's definitely about having that longer-term vision for our team members and for our organisation. You know, if if all we care about is the next quarter, you know, the next 90 days, um, then people might be tempted to to drive their team members harder. But that's sustainable. They're going to burn up and be burnt out and move on. And, uh, and, and then we're going to lose the skills and the experience. But if we can look after our people, have that longer-term vision, that sustainability mindset, then that's going to enlarge them. And while we're training and equipping and empowering them, they're going to stay with us uh, and they're going to respect that, that loyalty. And we made that clear in the book, you know, that true leadership is measured not by what they get done while they're there, but by what they set in motion. In fact, on the cover of the book and throughout the book, we've used the image of, of, you know, when you look at a cross section of a tree and and you see those growth rings in the tree. And we found in this research that there are really only three causes that, that help us grow in our life. When you look back on your life, there's been these real growth times. Um, significant adversity is, is, is one of those. Uh, and we, we don't want to go through pain or suffering. But when we do, we look back, we say, wow, I really grew in my relationship with God or in my, in my decisions in life. Another is extreme dissatisfaction which just we just get frustrated we're in a rut and we we change our life but the third is an exposure to an exceptional leader and when we have those leaders in our lives and we learn from them we look back and we say wow that was a season of growth as i learned under that leader how to lead and live and it impacted my life and that that's what we would call all leaders, influencers, managers and and company owners to to be those sorts of leaders that create those long-term legacies. Wow, what great insight because anyone who's an employee, they'll hear what you're saying. They'll say, if you have a great leader, you're going to have, as a result of that, one of the outcomes will be there'll be a wonderful well-being in the workplace. So there's, Mm. there's the challenge there for leaders. But let's take this to a lower level because not everybody is a leader not everybody is a manager not everyone will even aspire to be the boss 
So, mm. Mark, what do we say to people who are the workers, the employees, mm. those who are maybe on the production line, or those who are serving the customers? Uh, they say, well, what can I do to be an influence in my workplace? What are you saying to those people? Well, they actually can have the biggest impact because they're often on the front line interacting with the customers. They're with the peers and seeing what is taking place. They're actually more aware of how the culture is going than sometimes those in the corner office are or in the management floor. And so their responsibility to be the shapers, the influences of the culture is very strong. They can't control everything, but they can control their example and their interaction with others. And they have to ultimately be leaders, maybe not leaders of others, but leaders of themselves. Personal leadership comes first. And we used in the book, uh, we put the image, uh, image of a tree. I was just talking about growth rings in a tree. But if we think about an image of a flourishing tree, that's what we all want to be and hopefully if we're that, our companies or organizations can be that as well. And we, we borrowed that image from Psalm 1, which talks about the tree planted by streams of living water. And think about the tree which leaf does not wither and bears its fruit in season, whatever it does prospers. That's the sort of tree that we want for our lives. But you can't just have that, you know, the flourishing fruit and, and branches without a, a really healthy trunk. And we wrote in this little model in the book that if the if the fruit and the flourishing and the and the, the foliage is the competence, that's what we do, then the trunk is the cause, that's why we exist. And the bigger the cause, the stronger the trunk, the bigger the outcomes. Uh, but of course, the trunk is not just sitting on the soil, it's planted in effective and, and healthy soil. And that's the culture of what we feed on, of, of, of who we are and who we connect with. And, and I guess our model is really saying that if we want to be those trees that are flourishing, we need a really big why we exist and we need the, the healthy what we do and, and, and how we do it. And that's, that's the soil and that's the root system. And, and that's up to all of us to make sure we're healthy. And if we are in, a, in just a really toxic environment, then maybe that is time to look elsewhere so that we can flourish and be an example in a place where we can have more of those impacts. So the impact that we have in our workplace for the Christian believer ultimately starts in what happens with the discipleship that's going on in our own lives because these sorts of things that are being developed within us that are preparing us to be a great employee, a great influence in our workplace. Sometimes we think that Christians ought to make the best bosses. And uh, in here, I can hear you saying, Mark, Christians will actually make the best employees. And I suspect it's because the shaping that's happening within uh, as disciples, there are, and we talk about that word disciple, those inward disciplines that are created because of our commitment and our Christian faith, uh, these are not disciplines that are existing in the non-Christian worker who might be there for all sorts of reasons. But uh, another reason why a good Christian growing strongly in their discipleship makes a great employee and a great addition to the workplace. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, a Christian turning up to work doesn't need the values to be taught to them by the organization or to be put on the wall because they live those values themselves. They they have those values uh, that, that come from God's word and, uh, and uh, uh, through their relationship with God. And so that is core. And then they live them out in the organization rather than you know, needing the organization to, to sort of educate them in it. So it's more authentic. It's more inward uh, for, it starts from the inward and, and goes on out for, for, for such people. And secondly, Christians, unlike you know, many people, 
not only work in the community, in a community workspace, but they have another community that they're part of, which is their church. And so they are in that second community where they see leadership and interaction, where they connect with others and develop those people's skills, and they can bring all that they're learning and seeing and, and having exemplified there to the workplace. And if we think about churches, they're sort of like the ideal workplaces. They're, they're diverse in age and gender and culture, but they're united in purpose and values and direction. And, and they're defined by their center, by what they're about, not by the circumference, who's in, who's out. And, and they are the ideal workplaces as well. They've got that diversity that really defines our country and our client base. Um, but, but the diversity is, is not just a symbol, it's an asset. And, and we've got unity through the diversity as we move together towards the goal or the vision of the organization. And, and of course, churches do that with an even higher vision and purpose to share the gospel of Christ. But, but we see good communities and good leadership modeled week by week in church. And so we know what good leadership and community ought to look like in the workplace. And we can help shape that. Fabulous insights, Mark. There's so much to talk about. Let me squeeze in one more quick point here because under COVID-19, we know that there's something like a million unemployed around Australia and things don't look easy for the future. Our workplaces, people are saying there's a new normal, things are dispersed. Maybe we're not even going to gather the same way we used to before in one core central workplace. There's a dispersed work environment. How do these sorts of principles affect us in the changing work environment that we're part of? Well, I'd say to those who are doing it tough and maybe aren't in an employment situation at the moment and are looking for that or maybe not working as much as they want or maybe young people starting out, that what you learn matters more than what you earn, particularly as you're starting your career. And so I would try to get as much practical experience as possible. And we're seeing that with young people now where they're not just heading to university to do a generalist degree, but they're looking for work experience and internships and and um, actual um, job opportunities, uh, maybe more practical courses, sometimes vocational education, not just higher education degrees, because employers are pretty pragmatic, pretty practical now. They don't care just what theoretical knowledge you have, but how you can actually contribute to the organization. You know, particularly when it's a pretty tough employment situation, people are going to look for those who can really add value from day one, who have the right values, who have the people skills, who aren't going to need high supervision, who can be trusted, but also can get the job done. So I'd really be you know, developing those character skills and the people skills, but also those, those job skills so that we can really add value there. And keep in mind, you know, we're not just working later and longer in life, but we're needing to learn later and longer in life, be a lifelong learner, not just a lifelong earner, and uh, and make sure that we keep our skills honed. Because the fact is that technologies get outdated and there are new programs and new approaches and we've got to be nimble, agile, uh, adaptable in this era. And the more we can do that, the more we can have more options uh, in employment uh, because we're not just stuck in the one way, we're prepared to adapt. And that's what's certainly key in these fast-moving times. Well, Mark McCrindle, we have run out of time, but I do want to just mention your book. It's called Work Wellbeing, and it's a new book. It's based on the latest research. In fact, in there, you do take into 
account the changing uh, conditions under COVID-19 and uh, anticipation of where things are moving. And so we're talking about leading thriving teams in rapidly changing times. And I know listeners, uh, they'll hear in your responses to the issues we've been talking about over this past hour, the sorts of things you're sharing are absolutely uh, invaluable. They're priceless and uh, great insights. So let me recommend the book Work Wellbeing. It's written by Mark McCrendle and Ashley Fell. And uh, Mark, I know that it'll be available in Christian bookstores like Kurong. You'll be able to Google it and just Work Wellbeing. Uh, Mark McCrendle, you'll come up with this book. You can also get it through your website, mccrindle.com.au. And of course, there's lots of resource on mccrindle.com.au. I wonder if we've just got a 30-second uh, opportunity to ask you about all sorts of other research that's on there, and especially research that might relate to those people who are Christian in business or Christian in uh, the society that we live in. A, a thought or two on, on what people can glean from your website? Yeah, well, look, we exist to to try to find information about how Australians are and where we're headed and, and that that will most uh, resource or, or help people. You know, we, we discover these insights and we, we, we tell the story and often through visual ways and then we guide the journey as well in, in terms of applications. That's what we try to do through our books and publications. Um, so, yeah, have a look at the blog there on that mccrindle.com.au site. Lots of free resources there. And, of course, follow your way through to the book. Or you can just go to workwellbeing.com.au. That's got information about the book uh, that's called Work Wellbeing, and you'll you'll find lots of uh, information, and you can order the book from there as well. Workwellbeing.com.au, mccrindle.com.au. Mark McCrindle, you're a great communicator and uh, just appreciate you so much. Thanks for taking some time to share these thoughts with the listeners today on 2020. Oh, you're most welcome. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.